everybody. This is Tina again with Good Nurse, Bad Nurse. Welcome back for another week. I, 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 feel, I feel like, um, I don't know what's going on out there, but I record these a little in advance. And so it feels a little strange to be recording these episodes, knowing that in a few weeks, I don't know what the world's, world's going to come to, but I have, <laughs> I have Sydney, nursing student Sid. Is, is that, is that right, Sid? Is that? Yeah. Nursing, yeah. at nursing student Sid. <laughs> at nursing student Sid on Instagram. And she's back with me. You guys remember from a, back in, what, December, I think, early January. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was over break. It seems like a world ago because right? all this stuff that's happened since then. But she's back to do another episode. She, I wanted a nursing student's perspective to just mention very briefly. We're not going to go into it. We've t- certainly, there's enough talk about it, but we may talk about just a couple of little updates on COVID um, and then we'll go on into the, the Badner story. But I also wanted to mention you have, you got an account with Wear Figs on Instagram. <gasps> yes. <laughs> awesome. I'm so excited. Well, I was excited for you. Thank Congratulations. You. Oh my gosh, yes. thank you. <laughs> Absolutely. I was so excited when I saw that. I was like, yes, it's awesome. I know. I love them. They're such great mm-hmm. people and they're such a great company. So I was super yeah. excited to partner with them. <laughs> well, congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> well, so first of all, we've got three things that we want to address on the COVID situation. First of all, I just want to have Sydney talk a minute about a lot of nursing students listen and I just get her perspective and discuss a little bit about the situation of graduation and all that stuff. Second of all, I'm going to mention a little bit about the hospitals and how they're handling this whole situation. And then I have a a really good resource for you guys where you can go and get all of, of the really reliable information all in one place. So if you want to just talk a minute, Sydney, just from your perspective of what's, what's going on, how you're feeling, what, what vibe are you getting from people right now? So right now, it's kind of crazy being a nursing student. It's kind of like unknown what's going to happen because we don't really know. Um, right now, I'm in my mother baby like section. We finished our peds clinicals right before this happened where it kind of got crazy. We finished those in March, but we were still doing our mother baby clinical. And then, so once school got put online, we were kind of like unsure of what would happen with mother baby. All the hospitals told us we weren't allowed to go though, which makes sense. Like they don't want to waste PPE and like being around babies, you don't want to like expose them. So like I totally get that, but we still like don't know what's going to happen. And I guess with mother baby in California, which is where I live, you have to have clinicals and lectures side by side to finish it and for like to count, I guess. I mean, that's what my school's telling us. But since that can't happen, they're like, maybe we're going to push it to summer or maybe push it to fall, which is kind of frustrating because it's like we're already halfway done with the lecture aspect. And like to have to redo that is kind of frustrating. But like, I totally get it. Like we can't control it. It is what it is. But they're saying we're not going to graduate late, which that's really, that's great. I don't want to graduate late, but like, it's still like, we have no idea. And it's, we're getting emails literally like every day. (laughs) And they're all kind of like saying like a little different, like they're going back and forth, but lots of emails and then lots of like Zoom meetings with our director to kind of like inform us of what's going on. Our online school hasn't happened yet because this is our spring break. We don't really know how that's going to (laughs) work. And then as for like our seniors, because I still have a year left, so it's not going to affect me as much. But like I know our seniors, their clinicals obviously got canceled. So then their graduation and their pinning are now postponed to like the end of summer, which I'm like, I've and I know some people's like on Instagram um, are like canceled completely. Like they're, they're just canceled. I feel so bad for them. It's so like I 
don't like complaining about like my situation because I know they have it a lot worse because like if I had gone through nursing school because we all know how hard that is to not even get my pinning or my graduation, I would be like devastated. I would be so sad. And then I know like one of my best friends who's in the year above me got into the Sigma like Nursing Honor Society. So they were going to do the pinning for that. And that is now like postponed too. Like that's so sad. Like, I don't know. I feel so bad for them. Oh, I I do too. And I don't think there's anything wrong with being sad about that. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing at all. It's okay to grieve. The, the, we're all going through losses right now and things are not normal. And some people are like, oh, you know, think about this or think about that. I saw a post, someone posted, you know, how sad it is for seniors right now. They're not going to get to graduate. And someone said, well, think about 19, something about the class of 19, I forget the date. It's like 70 to 74 or something like that. Um, for their senior year, they their senior trip, they got to go to Vietnam. And I was Ooh. like, ouch. Oof. <laughs> that hurt. <laughs> I mean, the thing is, yeah. I, am I, and when I read it, I was like, ouch. That, it, it really, it, for, I guess it made sense to, to an extent it does, of course. But my thing is, you don't, I don't feel like it's appropriate to discount someone else's grief mm-hmm. wherever they are and what they're grieving about. You can always find someone in a more difficult situation or that's yeah, worse off. Definitely. And, and there's something to be said for that. Sometimes we can, it, we can help ourselves, you know, just kind of through the grief process by thinking of others who've, mm-hmm. who maybe have it worse off and appreciating what we have. And that's, there's no doubt about that. But it, I definitely don't want to downplay someone else's grief or, or their loss. And yeah. I know what a loss, I don't, I don't know because I didn't experience, but I can imagine, like you were saying, what it would be like to experience mm-hmm. that. And I, I really do feel for all the nursing students. Right. So you guys, I'm sorry you're having to go through what you're going through. I, I hope that you're finding ways to make the world a better place in your own way, <laughs> whatever you can do to get through this. Because I always say the best way to get through depression is to find someone else worse off than you and help them. If you mm-hmm. can you can somehow figure out a way to help others, you just, you feel better. Yeah. On the flip side too, as like being a nursing student right now, it's like kind of interesting too, because we're out of school and our school at least, like we're, we can't make up our clinical hours just because it's mother baby, but they're giving us like volunteer opportunities. Like at this one hospital we've been going to, we've been able to like help screen the employees and like nice. we've been put with like the head of like control, I guess, like the disaster control. And she's been teaching us and like letting us go along with her and help her see how the whole process works and how they're planning and like how they're trying to manage the situation, which is really cool. And it's like a cool in-look that I, I feel love like we it. wouldn't have been able to see if we weren't in the situation. Yeah, you're getting a whole different perspective that no one else is. We didn't get that opportunity. So I think that's mm-hmm. wonderful. It, that kind of brings me into the next topic I wanted to talk about just real briefly. And I just wanted to, I don't want to spend a lot of time on it, but I feel like I'm seeing a lot. Now, I've seen a lot of positive things too, but I'm seeing a lot of negative posts on social media about hospitals and hospital administrations not handling the whole the PPEs the shortage of PPE correctly or I don't know what it is what's it, what it's about but they're saying things like well you know they expect us to just use a scarf or they you know they they want us to do this this and this but they don't even give us a mask or they're kind of complaining about how hospitals are not giving appropriate PPE. First of all, 
definitely double check and make sure that you look at the CDC guidelines. Are they really, we can't go by what we wore two or three months ago when we had plenty of PPE. Mm-hmm. I, I do feel like if, think about the fact that these hospitals are run by humans, human beings, who many, many of them were in healthcare at one, or were bedside at one point. They're, at least at magnet institutions, they're nurses yeah. who are in, in administration. And so the thing is, they don't want their employees <laughs> to get this virus. They don't. And so they're literally wringing their hands over it every single day, trying to figure out the best way to conserve PPE while they don't, so they don't want to waste it because they don't want to run out and then not have it, but while obviously protecting people from getting it. And and it's just, there's a balancing act that they have to do. It's not fun, I'm sure, for them to make these decisions. They would love, I'm sure, nothing more than to be able to say, everyone gets an N95 respirator every time you walk into the hospital and you can throw it away if you, you know, once you mm-hmm. go into a room, you just throw it away when you come out and get another one. We don't have that kind of supply, so we can't do that. And so I don't know what to say other than I appreciate the hospital administrators for doing their job, for the people that are in charge making these difficult decisions, knowing that their decisions are probably going to affect all of us in some way, maybe negatively, maybe positively. They don't know. We don't know. No one does. They're doing the best they can. I just want to give them a break and... Mm-hmm. I know I'm probably going to make people mad saying that, but I don't know what else we can do. The thing is, when you put people in charge, when there are people in charge, they have to make decisions that there's no possible way they can make everyone happy. They can't. Mm -hmm. So you just have to look at it like, even if I don't agree with it, even even if the choice that they make ultimately months from now, we find out was a mistake, like whatever the CDC guidelines are or whatever people are saying now, is okay to do. If six months from now we find out that was a big mistake and it caused more people to get it, you can't really judge people by that because if they're making the best decision they can with what they know, Mm -hmm. I I think that's the best they can do. Just give them a break. Just, you know, try to not be so negative. Try to stay positive. I do think that most people that I'm seeing on social media are being positive. I love the way everybody's kind of coming together. I just want to remind the few people out there who mm-hmm. maybe are not looking at it that way. You know, just yeah. No, I totally think agree about, with you. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I like like I was saying. Like I've seen how hard these people are working to like yeah. fix the hospital and like kind of bring everyone together and help everyone out. So mm-hmm. totally agree with you. <laughs> awesome. And I wanted to give you guys real fast a um, a source. Actually, rather than trying to, because it's kind of a long uh, web address or um, where you go to get this. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to post a link, but there is a, there is an app that you can, where you can go that was created by a physician and it, it will take you to basically one place that you can get to the CDC, John Johns Hopkins, World Health Organization, and s- several other sources of credible information and all at your fingertips. And you can put a, you can put a bookmark on your homepage on your phone. And then you can just, while you're even at work, just hit that and it, and it will up, you know update information and you can go there if you need it. So if you're a, a clinician, you're for a healthcare provider, healthcare professional in any way, it was created for healthcare providers, but, and, and clinicians. But if 
if use it if you want to. <laughs> it's it's not intended to, of course, treat or diagnose or anything like that. So don't think it's just information and it's all put <laughs> together. So and I'll put that on the Instagram bio and on our website. I'll have Mark put it on the website. So if you guys want to go there and, and get that, you can. So I guess we can get into our bad nurse story. Yeah. So this bad nurse story, ew, I don't even know where to start because it is the saddest, most awful thing. I can't even, it's kind of hard to like, you know, these are always sad and Mm -hmm. and tragic and and stuff. And this is actually dealing with a a mentally disabled person. And that just magnifies, Mm -hmm. you know, everything in it. So this is the story of Linda LaRoche. She was an RN at a medical clinic in Illinois when this um, a teenager named Peggy Johnson, and like I said, she was cognitively impaired. I'm not sure to what extent, but there, it was just known that she had a mental, mental disability. She went apparently to get treatment of some sort at this medical clinic. And when she met Linda LaRoche, she was 18. She was homeless because apparently all of her family had died somehow. She, which is really, she was 18 so years old. Yeah, and did not have any family. So Linda knew that she was mentally disabled. She offered for her to come and live with her and her family if she would help clean the house. So basically like, oh, you can come and stay with us. And as your payment, rather than paying us rent, you can kind of be a like a live-in like housekeeper. Can, yeah. So already that kind of sounds like taking advantage of yeah. someone. Because I've, I don't know. I just feel like the amount of money, if you expect someone to clean every day, the amount of money that she should have been making for doing that service, I don't know if that equals, you know, rent for... The rent. Uh, yeah. yeah. In that situation. So... Peggy Johnson lived with Linda LaRoche's family for five years. And uh, Linda's children remember, because this happened a long time ago, and they remember her treating Peggy like what what they said is like an animal. She would slap her, and one time they said she made her sleep in a crawl space underneath the home. And this is all... Alleged. I mean, mm-hmm. all we're just telling information from articles, news articles, where it's it's reported that her children are saying these things, and so later on, after you know, after this whole incident, Linda LaRoche moved to Florida. She remarried and was very active on Facebook. She wanted to create that typical sort of, you know, fake book face image. Face. <laughs> fake book. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I know people like that. Mm-hmm. So just putting all the positive stuff out there, you know, looking looking like she's donating to all of these organizations. She's putting pictures with her with jewelry and having, you know, really fancy dinners in South Florida on, on the water and boats. And it looks like she enjoyed that life for about 20 years of living down there. Meanwhile, 
around the time that she moved to Florida, this was in 1999, a young girl was found on the side of the road in Wisconsin. She was unidentifiable. No one knew who she was. There was no reported missing girls at that time in that area. And they had no way of knowing who this, quote, Jane Doe was. So for 20 years, investigators could not close the case. So the local people mourned for her and prayed for Jane Doe. And it was a tragic, it was just tragic uh, for the community. And they were just, it was just really frightening, the mm-hmm. whole situation to think, you know, what happened to this poor girl? Mm-hmm. There's, I I am a huge Brandy Carlisle fan. Like I am obsessed, <laughs> I'm obsessed with her and I listen to like all of her music and I, I've been to see her once in concert. And then after going to see her once, I'm like, I want to go see her again. And that was only in January. But she has a, a song called Fulton County Jane. And the song is about, a, you know, someone who's, you know, found dead and nobody knows who mm-hmm. this person is. And she talks about in that song about how, you know, your mother called you something sweet once. So like, you were more than that at some point. At one point, you yeah. were more than this Jane Doe person. Mm-hmm. I love that song so much. Aww. And so that I thought about this when I read Kira's notes about it. That's so sad. It definitely is frightening too. Like if that happened in my city, like it's scary also because you don't know if that person like that did that to the girl still out there, like what happened. Yeah. Like it's just scary. <laughs> well, yeah, because there were chemical burns over 25% of her body. She had broken ribs. There were bruises on her face, on her torso. She had, there was evidence of a significant blow to the head, the split, that split scalp where you can sort of tell. I say that as if you know what I'm talking about because I <laughs> I watch so many of these shows, I forget not everybody. <laughs> but that that's what happens when you get hit in the head. Mm-hmm. And so she, her lower lip was split. She was, she was severely malnourished. And an autopsy showed that she had an untreated infection and was likely septic. So she was extremely, extremely sick when she died. It's just, I don't know, it's It's just the saddest thing. Yeah, to know that she got to this point, this young mentally disabled woman who her family, for whatever reason, was not there. She had no one in the world. And then she relied on this woman. She trusted her. <laughs> yeah. And and then, yeah, this is this was where she ended up. So, so incredibly tragic. So in November of 2019, just last year, Linda LaRoche was arrested in Cape Coral, Florida for the murder of the Wisconsin Jane Doe. And authorities confirmed that the body was Peggy Johnson after a neighbor of Linda's reported to local police that she had said she killed a young girl about 20 years ago. So apparently she was known. Was she telling Yeah, She was just telling people that? She was known to be quite the drinker of alcoholic beverages. So she would stumble around just very often just drinking too much. And then maybe it's possible that in that state, she got a little loose-lipped and was talking about, you know, so when this, when she divulged this information, the neighbor was like, I probably should say something. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So she went to the police and told them. And 
Linda stated that she caught Peggy doing drugs in her home and that she wasn't going to deal with that behavior. So she dropped her off physically unharmed somewhere in Wisconsin. And that was her that was her story of what happened to her. She was like, no, mm-hmm. she was doing drugs and I just kicked her out and I just took her and dropped her off somewhere. And I was like, you know, you can't be here doing that. And the problem with that story is Linda LaRoche's own daughters, their account of what happened while, you know, that during that five years that Peggy was living with them mm-hmm. was very different. They said that there was evidence of abuse and they talked about how she tr- how she would treat Peggy and Linda's ex-husband even said that he came home one day and found Peggy's lifeless body in the living room bruised and broken and Linda told her husband that she had overdosed and that she was going to get rid of the body so that they quote wouldn't have to deal with it what <laughs> why wouldn't the husband never reported that earlier Mm-mm. what yeah i wonder what if- and I don't know if anything, because I, I didn't really look into that, and I didn't even say anything to Kira about it because it's not really part of the you know the Badner story. But yeah, I just wonder what if they're going to do anything for him, you know, mm-hmm. him not you know saying anything. I don't know if there's a statute of limitations on that for not reporting something like that. You know, I don't know. Yeah, but for the record, the autopsy when the, of the body did not show any drugs in her system, so they found her her body, you know, in 1999, right after it happened. It's just that it's been 20 years since they discovered who, you know, they think did it. They did perform an an autopsy and there wasn't any signs of drugs in her system. So her story that she overdosed didn't really fly, I guess. Yeah. The people in Cape Coral were, Kira said they were shook when they found out. (laughs) I love her. I love the way she writes these up sometimes. I was like laughing at all of her little notes. (laughs) Kira calls me tuna. And so <laughs> and so she's like, Tuna, just just so you know, this is where this is where I live, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> she cracks me up. <laughs> but they knew, her neighbors knew that she was known to be, you know, kind of drink the alcohol every now and then. But they would have never thought she'd be somebody that would do something like this because she was a relatively nice person, I guess, or on the outside, mm-hmm. she was. Yeah. So they arrested her and took her up to Wisconsin, but there was a little bit of a delay in even doing that because she was charged back in November. Well, before that, I mean, she was charged for driving under the influence. Oh. Yeah. So she did have a drunk driving incident down in Florida, and it sort of created a little bit of a problem for the investigators in Wisconsin trying to get her from down there because she had that issue to deal with, you know, down in Florida. But obviously, mm-hmm. this issue, you would think, is, would trump uh, that. <laughs> she is now in Wisconsin. She's awaiting trial. The, as of January the 23rd, the, the latest information I could find on this, and of course, with all of this other stuff going on, I doubt there's any trials or anything going on, you know? Yeah. Mm-mm. Be hard to have a trial with less than 10 people in the room. <laughs> right. You know? So, so interesting times we're living in. But she... Doesn't have an attorney. The last time she went to court, she she did not have an attorney. The judge said, you know, why don't you have an attorney? She doesn't qualify for a, a public defender, so she must have a, a lot of money somehow. Mm-hmm. When you th- I mean, I don't know why else she wouldn't qualify. 
And so she said she's in the process of trying to hire an attorney and she just hadn't been able to hire one yet. So I don't know what's going to happen. She will have to go either make a plea deal or she will end up going to trial. But you've got her her grown children and her ex-husband who, you know, their story is going to go probably, I would imagine, go a long way. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, I bet those kids have like, are either like traumatized or have so much guilt too because yeah, they witnessed it. So they had to have seen it. And where was this ex-husband when the abuse right? was going on? So mm-hmm. it's kind of hard for me to understand why the ex-husband, unless they made some sort of deal with him that he wouldn't get, he wouldn't get prosecuted or, you know, mm-hmm. if he cooperated and kind of gave, you know, the information. So, yeah. I know this story, it reminded me, have you ever seen on Netflix? It's the, I think it's called like the Trials of Gabriel Fernandez. Yes. Oh my goodness. That, it reminded I, me of that. That's, I started watching that because I, I thought it was something else or someone told me to watch it. And when I watched it, I didn't realize what it was about. I didn't even realize it was about a child. I'm not, I don't like child, children's stories. And mm-hmm. so I started watching it and then I was like, I couldn't stop watching it. And then mm-hmm. I, I really, later on, I was like, this is just so disturbing. But at the same time, I I do, I am a firm believer in the fact that you can't just pretend like stuff doesn't happen and it doesn't yeah. help anyone. You know, it's mm-hmm. one thing for me to say, I don't want to be made to feel uncomfortable by watching this documentary about this poor child who went through all that he went through Mm -hmm. because it makes me sad or it makes me have anxiety or I, you know, because the fact is that these things happen, unfortunately, Mm -hmm. and we all need to be aware of it and be aware of our surroundings, aware, you know, in that documentary, there were people who saw evidence of his abuse and didn't do anything. Mm-hmm. And so that's the thing. That's the reason that that's really, a, it's part of the reason why we do this podcast is to talk about these things, these uncomfortable yeah. taboo type subjects, because you have to be aware that people, there are bad people out there that do things like this. You have to be on guard and watching. If you see something like that, you have to say something. It is your responsibility. You can't just bury your head in the sand. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. Yeah, but. Oh. Definitely, it reminded me definitely of this. Oh, my goodness. Sad. I know. It's so sad. It's, this this episode was really hard as far as just the bad story, just thinking about this poor girl, you know, 18 mm-hmm. years old. I have, I have a, I have a, my oldest son is 20, he's going to be 29 years old this year. And my middle son is 21. So the older my oldest son gets, the older children get in my mind yeah. <laughs> because it's hard for me to not, it's just, mm-hmm. so an 18 year old is just a baby, you know? And yeah. just like, <laughs> they're like three years younger than my 21 year old and he's still a baby. So, <laughs> you know, so I just, yeah, just, the, and not only 18, but mentally disabled. That's yeah. uh, absolutely crushes, crushes my soul. I can't even stand it. The thought yeah. of it. So, so we are going to end on a good note, though, as we yes. like to do, because it's just way, way too depressing. Um, and this is a cool, cool story. I love mm-hmm. this. Again, a lot of negativity going on out there. Some people, you know, are a little frustrated and and and, 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 and understandably, it's understandable that, that, that there's some frustration. But 
I I do I w- I do want to try to uh, give a shout out to the nursing schools as well. And so this really cool story out of Utah. And see, it is from the uh, ABC News in Utah, and it says, "Nursing school donates." over $3,000 worth of personal protective equipment to local hospital. I thought that That's was so awesome. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Because, you know, these nursing schools, I, I'm, sh- I'm sure they don't have a lot of money and they're they're struggling too. You know, they're going to, this is going to impact everyone. But they decided to put their own personal financial situation aside and just say, you know, we've got all this PPE that they probably purchased and just kind of have it, you know, stocked away for showing nursing students, you know, for them to be able to see what PPE is. I don't know if they bring their own supplies when they go into the hospital or or what, but, or if it's just literally for demonstration, mm-hmm. but they donated all of that to a local hospital. So I number one want to say, give like a shout out to this nursing school, but I also want to kind of say, hey, if you are, if you work for a nursing school, maybe think about mentioning if you if you guys have like a stockpile of nurse of um PPE supplies maybe consider doing this you know mm-hmm. it's all going to we all got to kind of band together during this time of need and then eventually we'll get back on track and but you know maybe maybe consider donating like this so yeah. this is Provo College Layton campus in Utah and they took their PPE to Davis County Hospital. So that's that awesome. Cool. Anything helps, really. Oh, I'm sure. If if you know, think about it. I, I don't know how much that equates to in terms yeah. of how many mask masks or, or whatever. But if it if one nurse or CNA or physician or nurse practitioner or who if one healthcare provider walked into a room with a mask on that they would otherwise not have had, and they're able to keep from getting the virus then or any other virus i mean the fact that there's a shortage of ppe it's not just about the coronavirus it's also all of the other things that we're at risk for getting Mm -hmm. definitely once it's gone it's gone and i i would imagine there's going to be a shortage of these supplies being made maybe i don't know that for sure but Mm -hmm. if everybody's staying home or people getting sick and not the people who actually are making the supplies if more and more people get sick and there maybe there could become a, a maybe a shortage of the supplies that are even being made I don't know yeah I don't know it's crazy though to so, see like like in dark times like these like people do step up though and donate yeah. and come together like I know at my mm-hmm. hospital there have been so many donations of just like ran- like it's not even just PPE it's just like everything people are just coming together and helping us out and it's really really cool <laughs> really nice to see. I think, yes, it is. It is really nice to see. I love it. So um, there was a call from Utah lawmakers for businesses to donate anything that they have to healthcare professionals. And that nursing school stepped up. So kudos. That's so cool. (laughs) Yeah. Well, thank you again, Sydney, for coming on. Of course. Thank you for having me. I love coming on. It's fun. I love doing this and it's always fun to do it with fellow, I guess you don't really have a podcast, but <laughs> you being on Instagram and kind of out there in a different different way, it's kind of cool. You know, we, we can sort of meet like this. I met so many people doing this podcast and it's mm-hmm. awesome. It's really cool. I'm really so thankful. Just, <laughs> and everybody can, you can find Sydney 
on Instagram at at nursing Sid or at nursing student Sid. <laughs> at nursing student Sid. I'm never gonna say it right it's the okay. first time. <laughs> at nursing student Sid. And it's S Y D. Yes, S Y D. <laughs> yeah. At nursing student Sid S Y D. Okay. And you guys can find us at Good Nurse Bad Nurse on Instagram and GMBN Podcast on Facebook, or you can find us at goodnursebadnurse.com on our website. So you guys have a good week, and I just want you to remember that even if you're a bad girl or a bad boy, be a good nurse.